I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The Deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Welcome to the Muni Market Podcast. I'm Joe Mysack. And I'm Amanda Albright. And we would like to tell you a story about the municipal market that you won't believe. So Joe and I have sat next to each other the past few years at Bloomberg, and we always like to go back and forth on new deals that we see hit the municipal market calendar. Lately, those deals have included some unfamiliar LLCs that go well beyond the city or state that you would think of as typically selling a muni bond. Some of these projects have sold jet fuel, um, sustainable paper products, and even new types of plant fertilizer. I like to think of it as the muni market's version of Shark Tank. You never know what will stick, the ideas are exciting, and sometimes investors do end up bowing out. But Joe reminds me that these projects are, in a way, not so unusual. He's seen projects like this dating back to the 1990s. Joe, can you tell us a little bit about this history in this part of the muni market? Wow, Amanda. America, you're getting new stuff. That has been, I think, our theme for the last several years as states and municipalities tackle a variety of projects that you don't think of, as you say, when you think of municipal bonds or think of municipal finance. But I just want to give you a little bit of historical context. In January of 1999, I was the luncheon speaker at the National Federation of Municipal Analysts Advanced Seminar. I gave what I called the MAP speech, in which I described a hypothetical tour of the U.S. visiting more than a dozen sites of municipal bond financed projects, almost all of which were going or destined to go into default. This too was a period when America was getting new stuff. In fact, I look back on this time as the golden age of public finance, when anything could be financed in the muni market. Now, among my stops in the map speech were Fitchburg, Massachusetts, home of a pulp de-inker, Marineland, Florida, a vintage 1938 tourist attraction, Palm Beach County, Florida, site of a bagasse or sugar cane waste mill, Bessemer, Alabama, the site of Visionland, quote, an attraction styled after blast furnaces and other facilities familiar to residents of the Birmingham area, in the words of the official statement. Kearney, Nebraska, site of the Great Platte River Road Memorial Archway over I-80. Numerous California public finance authorities who were engaged in helping to finance housing subdivisions in the desert. And finally, my favorite, Troy, Alabama, site of the nation's first protein recycling project. The plant was destined to recycle broiler mortality, as they put it, or dead chickens, into basically chicken feed. I think I stopped at a landfill gas recycler in Pennsylvania as well, and at least one golf course. Now, I recall after leaving lunch, uh, uh, I left the room and I was 
walking behind two analysts and overheard them chatting. And one of them said to the other, that was pretty funny. Yeah, until he gets to your deal, said the other one. Now, I'm not certain, but I think the speaker who followed me at the afternoon session discussed the Las Vegas monorail, Rogersdale, a theater-based entertainment complex in California whose theme was the career of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Who? And the wonderful world of Oz, a theme park in, of course, Kansas. There was a certain lust in the air during this period, I now realize, for mills designed to turn one kind of waste, be it used tires or dead chickens or plant waste, into something useful. Anyway, this was the map speech. In September of 2000, barely a year later, Heartland Advisors reduced the net asset value on its high-yield municipal bond fund by 8.2%. Of the 54 bonds in the high-yield fund, 27 were in distress. Now, Heartland was just the most extreme example of what was then rippling through the municipal market. In 1998, 74 issues had defaulted, but that doubled to 140 in 1999 and remained at 139 in 2000, 148 in 2001, and 162 in 2002. So it wasn't surprising that buyers sort of lost their taste for these kind of deals. But Joe, I want to stop you right there because you mentioned the Las Vegas monorail, and I feel like that's a great example of buyers regaining their taste for these types of deals. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that kind of taste that we're seeing reemerge this year. Well, you know, that that Las Vegas monorail, one of the notorious disasters in the market. But I want to fast forward to to 2017. I, w- I was sort of casting about then because I give a speech every year at something called the Bond Attorneys Winter Workshop in uh, January. And it struck me back then in late 2017, I had finally written about what you had written about, and I'd seen enough nutty transactions to put together another map speech. Now you think about it, it had taken almost two decades for buyers to regain their appetite for story bonds. Issuers still sold bonds for charter schools and continuing care retirement communities and for real estate projects. But, you know, they they even finance things like fertilizer plants and manufacturers of wood pellets. But those kinds of deals, the story bonds that seemed like such a fixture of the 1990s, were pretty scarce until about 2017. So I found that at that point, I was able to put together another map with a dozen or so projects that were being financed in the muni market. An airport fixed base operator, your favorite millionaire, I think they called it. The American Dream Mall in New Jersey. A Tulsa, Oklahoma pop culture museum, an aquarium at least two recycling mills designed to take miscellaneous junk and turn it into jet fuel. As Amanda put it to me, Joe, put this in the headline, junk to jet fuel. (laughs) A Florida high-speed rail project, another mill designed to take rice waste and turn it into fiberboard. 
Now, I chose a dozen back then, but found I had no fewer than 17 to choose from. Wow. And earlier this year, when I again addressed the bond lawyers, I told them that the map we had constructed the previous year could have been doubled in 2018. And, of course, you mentioned the Las Vegas monorail. <laughs> this year, it returned to market after, what did it do, wipe out 98% of uh, muni bondholders' value? So, Joe, you mentioned the year 2017, and so I think in 2019 we're seeing the deals of 2017 rear their head again, um, and just kind of that map that you mentioned, um, we're seeing some of those players crop up again. You know, they're drawing on their reserve funds, they're defaulting. Um, I think 2017 is kind of where I point to a lot of the deals that were sold in this era of low interest rates as coming back to kind of bite bondholders who bought them. Um, but we're still seeing, you know, in 2019, a lot of project finance deals get done. Um, I don't think it's at the pace that it was in 2017, but maybe we can talk a little bit about what's what's driving this interest. You know, why are we seeing these deals getting done, even, you know, with this history that we know where, you know, some of these project finance deals, you know, that are making chicken feed don't always work out. It's the second golden age of public finance. You know, I think what I want to do, though, is I want to pose a question to our expert witness. Sure. Who's on the line. Eric Kazatsky of Bloomberg Intelligence. Hey, guys. How are you? Eric, I want to know, is junk getting junkier? Is junk getting junkier? I don't think junk's getting junkier. Um, I, I think that there's just a lot of inflows coming into the market that are physically facilitating a lot of these deals getting done. Um, you know, I think bankers understand the demand in the marketplace and all the cash that's coming into both the investment grade and high yield space, and they're producing a product that's going to satisfy those needs. You know, whether those deals, um, you know, some of the ones that came to market in the high yield spaces here would have gotten done necessarily in a, in a really low inflow environment. Who's to say? But I think the demand in the muni space coupled with, you know, where absolute rates are, it's really been um, a positive for borrowers in both, you know, investment grade and high yield to come to market this year. And they're actually reaping the rewards of that, you know, by having deals that are many times oversubscribed. Um, but, but we have know, seen that. Uh, Go ahead. We have seen a weakening of covenants, no? I mean, with a lot of these deals, what you used to see was you'd get the mortgage. Nowadays, you don't yep. get the mortgage. Yep. Well, I mean, a lot of the deals that we've seen come to market this year uh, in a subordinated structure are actually a result of the funding. And it's interesting. You know, uh, if we get back to that low rate uh, point, and a lot of these issuers have, you know, taken the opportunity to do refunding. Um, you know, some during the using a taxable structure, obviously, since you can't advance your fund in the uh, tax exempt market anymore. Um, but using the opportunity to really make the bond covenants more to their advantage. And that's weakening bondholder, um, you know, structures. Um, that's subordinating debt. That's taking away mortgage pledges, as you uh, just mentioned. It's taking away debt service reserve funds. And look, like I said, it goes back to inflows. And, you know, as long as the demand's there, they're going to continue to do what's in their best interest. One thing, um, just on the covenant topic, 
um, that's kind of always struck me is that even if you know you do have a mortgage on the property or there is a debt service reserve fund at all, um, if the project isn't viable, you know that's not really going to help you very much long term. So I sometimes think that like the covenant conversation uh, for an airport, you know, it's it's obviously different than some of the sure. um, biofuel projects that we've seen, but um, yeah. it does kind of feel like you know arguing for stronger covenants with some of these project finance deals is kind of a band aid um, if you know the project just isn't viable. Um, and I'm Joe, I'm I'm sure you know all the deals that you listed earlier. Um, you know, I wonder how much a stronger covenant actually ended up helping those bondholders, you know, recoup any money. Oh yeah, well they got the you know they got the mortgage, but it was maybe the property whatever it was might have been worth ten percent of uh, you know yeah. the uh, the bond uh, par value. Right. Yeah. The, yeah, um, I think Amanda, you're you're spot on in what you said. Um, you know, a lot of the times when you have a mortgage pledge, it, it's not going to be at your advantage if it's for a startup project. You know, it's really. Um, you're going to see that on a mature property that has an assessed valuation that's been proven over, you know, many, many years. And, and look, at the end of the day, no one wants to be a property holder. You know, they want to get paid their principal interest on the bonds that they purchase. So, you know, everybody hopes it doesn't get to that point. Well, you know, in this wave, this in this second golden age of public finance, I've seen transactions that, you know, I thought, well, you know, surely this is going to be high yield. But then I take a look at it, and, you know, it's like, yes, it's a charter school, but guess what? It's been open since 1996, and enrollment is rising. Or it's like that uh, botanical garden near you, Eric, where they have mm-hmm. uh, a, a, an endowment that's worth almost a billion dollars. So, yep. you know, you take a look at some of these things, and you'd say, well, surely this is uh, a speculative kind of credit. But no, a lot of these happen to be for some pretty good credits. Yep, that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, look, if you go through the calendar each week, there's certainly going to be things that pop out. Um, just seeing the the title of the OS and it sort of makes you scratch your head until you really sort of dig in and get the particulars. And you, know, you touched on Longwood Gardens. Uh, which is in the suburbs of uh, Philadelphia, and that's a perfect example. You know, on its surface, you're like, all right, you know, how viable of a deal could a, a botanical structure and garden be? And you know, but when you dig in, you find that there is a, a pretty sizable endowment supporting the deal. You know, and not all deals that come, you know, have those benefits. Um, but you know, I think what we've seen in, in the last year or so is that, you know, regardless of the underlying structure, there seems to be um, really an unceasing appetite. Um, for purchasing, you know, higher yielding debt. And, you know, the one way you can obviously measure that is just where spreads have gone in the sector and they've gone lower, they've gotten tighter. So, you know, as more money comes in, it's almost like this, uh, you know, the speeding on itself and it's just sort of grinding the benefit for actually holding um, debt that's less than investment grade is just, you know, making less and less sense. Thank you, Eric. I think, and also just to the point about the botanical garden, um, I've never been to a botanical garden that wasn't incredibly crowded, so there's probably a bit of an investment thesis there, too. Um, but Eric, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Yep, absolutely. Thanks. Now we turn to the docs, where we reveal the stories hiding in plain sight in your offering documents. This week, I looked at a bond deal by the legends at Sparks Marina. 
essentially this is an outlet mall near Reno um, and the bonds are junk rated. They ended up pricing with a, about 1.4 percentage point spread um, and they've already traded up in the secondary market just to kind of speak to this dynamic uh, that we're seeing in uh, the high yield marketplace. So what I kind of want to point out is, you know, every time a deal like this comes to market, you t- you typically see a lot of words in bold um, that you know investors are supposed to pay a special attention to. Um, and so this time it was that the city is not pledged to the payment of the bonds. Um, so obviously appropriation debt is always um, probably perennially a hot topic in the muni marketplace. Um, but I thought, especially with this deal, you know, these are sales tax bonds. Um, you do have the city of Sparks kind of lending their name on the offering documents, but they're pretty clear that they are not, you know, going to step in on this project. Um, and the reason that I bring this up is that, you know, yesterday uh, we had a story about the the University of Oklahoma being sued over um, a student dorm project um, that the developer is suing over because, you know, the university, um, the project, you know, went south. Um, not enough students moved in. I should point out that it's a luxury dorm project um, (laughs) with all sorts of amenities. Um, But, you know, the university, you know, basically, you know, didn't step in to cover um, the the, the shortfall. Um, And now there's a lawsuit over, you know, even the fact that, you know, the bonds said in bold type, you know, that they're not going to pay. There's a lawsuit, you know, kind of over that right now. In numerous places in the OS, right? Right. And this isn't the only place where we've kind of seen this happen. Um, So Platte County, Missouri, there is also um, or there is a lawsuit pending right now over some appropriation debt there. Um, And that was also for a shopping center. And so I would kind of compare um, the Sparks deal to that Platte County case. Um, But, you know, there there's an upside scenario to this um, Reno outlet mall. Um, you know, they've had a lot of growth there. There's a lot of growth in the sales tax revenue. Um, but again, this appropriation issue, I think we're going to, you know, see that kind of rear its head a little bit more um, if there's another recession. Yeah, always keep in mind that the appropriation is optional. If the money doesn't come in, if the project isn't successful, well, maybe we won't pay. Great. That's it for us this week. This is the Muni Market Podcast. Thank you to our guest, Eric Kazatsky from Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm Amanda Albright. And I'm Joe Misak, reminding you that we are in the second golden age of public finance. See you soon. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.